This is the Constructionist Podcast, where we take ancient stories, the person of Jesus, current events and topics, and help you construct a new Christian worldview that's relevant and loving to those around you. I'm your host, Kevin Bates. I'm a semiotician and community builder looking at the signs of the times to build a better future together. Welcome to the Constructionist Podcast, and in tonight's episode, we will be discussing the life of Christ. So as host of this podcast, we strive to provide you with relevant and a compassionate worldview framework that will help guide you through life. So we believe that in order to achieve this, it's important to get our own house in order. So this means learning to love and care for yourself and develop a framework, a theology, and a worldview yourself It's essential in order to fully represent who you are, fully love and care for others in the world. So we encourage a worldview that is built on the principles of Christ. And in this episode, we will examine the life of Christ through a clear and honest lens. We want to tell you the truth in our insights and perspectives that will help you in your own journey towards a greater understanding and compassion for yourself and others. We want to assure you that tonight's episode, we are not fabricating anything. And if we're going to make a guess, we're going to tell you it's a guess. Many have made up things about the Bible, and we don't want to tonight. So with the information, the ideas that we have are just going to be honest, uh, authentic perspective on our examination of the book of Mark tonight. So in previous episodes, we've discussed the potential pitfalls of simply deconstructing old ideas, without moving towards a new understanding and constructing new ideas. Sometimes we get in a cycle of maybe just perpetuating same patterns as we sought to change in previous years, that we will just continue the patterns or the cycle of toxic beliefs or faith or, or, or belief systems. Instead, we want to give a fresh perspective, a new framework to construct healthy habits and behaviors. And that's why in the Constructionist podcast, we explore new ideas, practical thoughts, and theologies for daily life. It's a thinking space. So we aim to provide a platform for this kind of discussion on relevant topics. And so we want you to live a meaningful and purposeful life. So we're going to share our best attempt at exploring practical ways to apply these ideas to your daily walk. So we're going to look at the life of Christ through the book of Mark. So if you enjoy the Constructionist podcast and want to support us financially, please follow the link in the chat or show notes on the social media platform that you're listening to and visit our Give page. There's a little tab that says Give and a pull-down menu that you can give to this ministry. So your support will enable us to continue producing high-quality content like this. But even more important, we want to hear from you and engage with you. We believe that through our interactions and discussions with listeners like you, we continue to learn, we continue to grow together to develop what we call a communal hermeneutic. So we value your feedback, your questions, your ideas. We're excited to build a community around our shared exploration of new ideas and perspectives. So please don't hesitate to reach out, send us a direct message, or you can leave a a message or a comment in the social media channel that you're listening to. So with that, thank you, Sharia, 
and Jake for joining us tonight. We're continuing our study of the book of Mark. We're in chapter nine, so we're just going to jump right in, and I'm going to start reading at our scripture verse, um, verse nine, and we're just going to read a little bit, and we're going to explicate and talk about it. Sheree is going to be up first with some new, fresh ideas um, about the book of Mark, but before we um, get too deep, we want to go over the topic of construction. A deconstruction is construction, again, to just give us a refresher on that. But we're going to start and we're going to just read a little bit and then we'll go back to those other specific topics. So John said to Jesus, teacher, we saw someone throwing demons out in your name. We tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Jesus replied, don't stop him. No one who does powerful acts in my name can quickly turn around and curse me. Whoever isn't against us is for us. I assure you that whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will certainly be rewarded. As for whoever causes these little ones who believe in me to trip or fall into sin, other translations say stumble, it would be better for them to have a huge stone hung around their necks and be thrown into the lake. If your hand causes you to fall into sin, chop it off. It's better for you to enter into life crippled than to go away with two hands into the fire of hell, which can't be put out. If your foot causes you to fall into sin, chop it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to be thrown into hell with two feet. If your eye causes you to fall into sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter God's kingdom with one eye than to be thrown into hell with two. That's a place where worms don't die and fire never goes out. Dun, dun, dun. The fiery hell. Everyone who will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but salt loses its saltiness. How will it become salty again? Maintain salt amongst yourselves and keep peace with each other. Wow, there's a ton in there. So, Shreya, let's just start out with your... Um, what you're going to include with that scripture verse, and then let's go back and unpack some ideas on construction, deconstruction theory. Go ahead. Yeah. So I was thinking mostly about the first couple verses there. Um, I was out in the garden the other day um, and our friend Brad has a landscaping business. He's been helping me mulch over the yard and get rid of the grass so that I can grow useful plants instead. Um, and so I was working in one of the mulched over areas um, and I wanted to plant oats. It's something that we eat a lot of. So I figured why not, why not try it, see if I can do it. Um, and so I was trying to weed the garden. But if you've ever tried to tell the difference between an oat seedling and a grass seedling, I have no idea how to tell what the difference is. Um, mm, so my okay. options are either tear it all out and have zero harvest or wait until the seeds develop and I can tell the plants apart. Because as Jesus said, a grass is known by its fruit. Um, yeah, okay. So I was thinking about this passage while I was working in the garden, um, it's known by its fruit. And the disciples are upset because someone's throwing out demons, but they're not part of their little club. They don't have the right theology. Mm. They don't have the right beliefs. They're not hanging out with them. Um, and so they want to make those people 
the enemy or outside, um, not a part of our us. And Jesus is calling us to a bigger picture of what community looks like. Um, it's not about having the right beliefs, it's about the fruit that you produce. And um, that's definitely a reversal of how I was raised um, in the church. Like, I think we knew the passage, a tree is known by its fruit, but if you want to be part of the club, you have the right beliefs. And I think the church still tends to function that way. We ignore the fruit as long as you have the right beliefs. Mm. So that reminds me of that quote. I can't remember who actually said it, but I learned this quote years ago that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount gave um, a list of things to do. And there's not one thing in the Sermon on the Mount that tells us mm. what to believe. It's all what to do. And Nicene Creed 300 something, by 300 mm -hmm. years later, the Nicene Creed tells us everything to believe and nothing to do. Yeah. So Jesus tells us everything to do, nothing to believe. But then the church gets a hold of that. It's everything to believe and nothing to do. Jake, do you remember who actually said that? Because I've heard you use that before in years past. It's, it's... I can't remember. Yeah, it's a famous quote years ago that um, mm -hmm. that I learned. And, and I think that that's kind of an important inclusion there. Uh, so what where do you think, what went wrong? I mean, like why... Why are we in the club by what we believe? I mean, that's that's pretty relevant to our day. Um, yeah, I have I have some suspicions that it probably has to do with Constantine and empire and mm. making Christianity the state religion. Now we're now we're part of a club. We're part of an empire. We're part of a nation, and these beliefs are who we are. Um, yeah, Constantine, Augustine. Like you think of the the really large players in early Christianity, it moved from something that was grassroots-ish, focused on poverty, mm -hmm. to more opulence and power and money and prestige. Um, you started to have to define who was in and who was out so you could control what was being mm -hmm. taught. And we would definitely see it today. Like we're we are afraid of other ideas being taught. That's um, mm -hmm. in the news constantly about what they're even doing with schools and how there's certain topics they're afraid of. Like just can name it. Like DEI is a big thing right now. CRT mm -hmm. is a big thing right now. So yeah. So we are constantly afraid of what's what is being taught. What's being in what Jesus says in that passage specifically is what if it's if they're able to do great things in my name, let them do it because they can't just turn around and curse me at the same time. Mm -hmm. Right. And that. Yeah. And something that I brought up a little earlier is that the the idea of of the Gospels or even really the entire Bible is that we've tried to turn it into a history textbook of this happened, then this happened and this happened. When really that's not how ancient writers thought 
it was more mm-hmm. in in story it wasn't linear it was more in what is what is the greater message behind what's being spoken and it's not the historicity it's not it's not the historical life of of Jesus here it's mm-hmm. the it's the ethical and the and the situational life of Jesus and so there's there's moral lessons being taught. It's not about it's not about the what happened next. We like to think in the Western world about what happened next. And so mm-hmm. this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And so you have a fact check right, sheet. Right. And if and if things didn't happen just the way just the way it was, then that whole story is thrown out. Right? And so I think, mm-hmm. I think if we had the same, truly, if we looked at the scripture the same way, we'd have to throw out all of scripture because it didn't happen bit by bit by bit. And we know that because of archaeological evidence. And as we know more and more, we really had to dig into, in, in our constructionism, deconstructionism, what, was, what is the greater message being taught and how do I, how do I get there? And... Yeah. Shrey, do you have anything more to add to that? Um, I have a question. What do you guys think? Um, do you think this passage opens it up to other religions too? If the fruit mm. is there. I think that in my progressive um, attitude and when I look at um, Amos and the last chapter of Amos and I see um, some allusion to like a universal type grace that's given like universalism. I mean, I look at Paul and I go, gosh, you know, I mean, he's pretty much a universalist in the book of Romans. So, so I wonder, like, in our exclusive club mentality of Christianity, um, we've lost the hope for others. And maybe mm. the attitude of God's grace is bigger than my, like, tenets and propositions of theology. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, like, what exactly to believe or not to believe. Um, now there are some real big challenges that I see with other religions. That's why I'm a Christian. So there's some other major challenges. There's oppressive behavior. There's not the fruit of equality and love and grace and mercy and some of the things that, you know, are kind of signature character natures of God. So, so there are some challenges. Us too, though. What? Oh, oh yes, yes, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, yet I see that in Christianity, you can find yourself back at grace. A lot easier. You can find yourself in the heart of grace and the mercy of God. With other religions, I have a hard time finding myself back at the grace and the mercy of of God. But that is not to say 
that my attitude needs to be of judgment and exclusion. Just because I can find myself back at the grace and the mercy of God in my Christianity doesn't mean that God is not working in the hearts like there's other Exodus stories in Amos, um, the last chapter of Amos. So, so that would be my remarks on that. I think that it's, um, it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, I think, I'll say it this way, why we can't genuinely want that to be true. Right. It's like, why Why do we look at the world and want there to be one way? Hell. Why do we want there to be a hell? Yeah, why do we want hell to exist so bad? Why yeah. Want... <laughs> and it's, it's odd. It's like, are we It bad? is odd. Why are we that angry at our neighbor? Yeah. <clears throat> well, we spend so much time on exclusion versus spending our time of how can we include these people? How can we include people? I wish that we would spend more time on that. I feel yeah. like we should we should live like there's a hell. But believe that everyone is going to heaven. Or vice versa. Lily does a heaven, but believe everyone's going to hell. I, don't know. <laughs> I think we already do that. Well, I don't know. I mean, like if we're talking about works and belief, right? Our fruit and our belief. Um, we're to welcome the stranger. We're mm -hmm. to invite the immigrant the one that is outside to the table of grace. Even if we believe that their stuff, whatever stuff they have is wrong and wherever that leads them. Um, but I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest, we're about ready to get into hell. I, I don't believe, and this, this conversation is kind of a non-issue for me because I don't believe in this idea of hell that, you know, Dante's right. inferno type hell that people um that people uh adhere to there's not this center earth devil pitchfork little you know like horns on the head red cape type being called satan in the middle of lava uh burning people for eternity that's just ludicrous to think the church over a long period of time has depicted hell that way but there's no scriptural foundation to um, hell. So this next scripture, if I just want to deconstruct more, um, my version of hell at best is like, I would say an annihilation type of, of situation that's where as, as the soul, what that's extreme as you'll go. That's it. Yeah. I mean, that's as extreme as I would say that there's there's a place that heaven and earth come together and the whole uh, world and all of creation is recreated. What happens to those souls that like rejected God or went against God? Um, you can, yeah, there you go. Uh, what happened to those souls that were like, were against God, like the blasphemy of the Holy spirit 
type of soul. And I would say, I would say, well, um, maybe at best that those souls would disappear. There is not this case that those souls are going to be tormented um, as we so, you know, have depicted. Number one, that goes against the nature of God. Yeah, I mean, we oftentimes dance on the edge of universalism. Mm -hmm. But as we sit here in this, in this, if we were not born in the United States, right? If we were, if we were born more into mm -hmm. an Asian Buddhist country, yeah. Mm -hmm. What gives? What gives me the right and privilege if I'm following that religion the best that I can to the tenets that it has? Which, honestly, if if you just lined out the tenets of Buddhism for Christianity—peace, mm -hmm. gentleness, mm -hmm. grace, nonviolence, equity. I think that right. I'll, there'd be more similarities than there are differences. Do you end at grace right. easier than works? 100%. You do. But if I didn't have the chance or opportunity, if I didn't, what is to say that I'm right or wrong? <clears throat> um, people in our tradition a long time ago, let's say if you were not baptized by immersion, you were also mm -hmm. going to hell. Right. And so there's 1,500 years of Christians that were doing their very best that ended up in hell because they weren't baptized by full immersion mm -hmm. as that practice went away and then came back again. And so right. oftentimes we all, we talk about is our theology of, of grace bigger than our theology of judgment. And if you go back to Exodus 32 and through 34, when God reveals God's self to Moses on the mountain, um, there's this there's this list of adjectives that God gives about God's character, and mm -hmm. the grace far outweighs any sort of judgment. You're supposed to put those on a scale, right? And then the, the the grace far outweighs the judgment piece. And so, how does how does our grace far outweigh our judgment? I think is a is a crucial a crucial thought of Christianity. Can I say this is like, you know, the whole idea of I bring light into dark places. Mm -hmm. Dark places is that phrase reserve, reserved for maybe the, the darkest or the deep, like the saddest or the, the real like troubled uh, parts, places of our society that we bring light into, like, let's say, um the prison uh the we bring light into the um that dark place window. of <laughs> no we bring light into the dark <laughs> places of like like houselessness it's a real sad situation we bring light into another real sad place would be like you know mental illness so we bring light into like that idea. And I, I don't really like that idea because I don't find those places very dark. Well, what you know, like I don't called, find. 
if we use the word light and we continue well wait hold on a second let me let me use the metaphor of dark and light right so darkness and light is used in scripture so i was like okay well i i I guess i'll run with it um i would say like with other religions sharia this is like light bringing light to gray places Hmm. okay (laughs) So, so it's not really like dark, like you can't, somebody's devoted to prayer, somebody's devoted to ancient scripture teaching, somebody's devoted to the temple, somebody's devoted to their, you know, practice. It's like, how can you say, well, that's just evil. I don't go there because it's evil. Well, it's like, well, that's, you know, prayer and devotion and practice and spiritual renewal. I, I, I wouldn't never term those darkness. Um, Mm-hmm. you know can you find jesus there probably not necessarily you know but can you find jesus in the church right now i i don't i don't know so i would say bringing light to the gray places i guess two thoughts on that if we continue with light and darkness think of it more as a heaviness versus a lightness Okay. Yeah. So we're to alleviate burdens, not just show. And we, we oftentimes have the, the thought that light is truth, mm-hmm. but let's, let's have it be more like helpfulness. Yeah. And, and sojourning together and comfort and mm-hmm. empathy and compassion. So make it making your environment lighter it's a breath. It's not. It's not about showing truth. Right. And the second thought I have, what you're saying, Kevin, that the the good, the darkest places, and if you if you follow Luther and his um, theology of the cross, it's called. Yeah. That you go to the very darkest places, and that's where you will find Christ. At you'll not find Christ mm. in the lightest places. So what I said is true. Very true. Yes. <laughs> well, but okay. So again, but think of what we believe and what we, yeah, what we believe and what we do. Going back to Sheree's, uh initial um, discourse there at the beginning, what we what we say and what we do, what we believe and what we do, uh, the fruit of the oat or the grass seed. Um, what is the fruit? And we will know your heart by your fruit. That's scripture somewhere. So so knowing somebody and who they are by their fruit, what do we do with these other religions? Well, I would say, what do we do also with the other religions of Christianity? So I would say, I would say Christian nationalism is not a orthodox christianity right i mean if you want to use that orthodox type of it's not within the first hundred years of christianity let's put it that way a a nationalistic like traditional christianity um it's not christ-centric it doesn't have a christology centrism um to it it has a nation centrism 
it's the very thing that the Jews got wrapped up into about their nation and their promised land or their idea of their temple or this is the only place God lived um, was in a box in the back room of a temple. So, so this idea of nationalism, I would say any extremism of Christianity, um, I would say at this point, the way that the world is right now, uh, you know, whatever camp of extremism that you're in, there's not a Christ centrism to it. It's an alt view. It's an alt idea that has been included Jesus plus. So every time you have a Jesus plus, you know that you're moving away from a Christ Christological centrism that is dangerous. And, and so, so we will only know even within the camps and religions of Christianity, we will only know the fruit. And to go to Sharia's point of, okay, what, where's the oat seeds? Is that what you're looking for? Oats? <laughs> okay, so where's the oat seeds? Those that have compassion towards the poor, those that are welcoming the outsider, those that are showing love to the disenfranchised and the othered, those that are the, those that are showing grace to those that feel um, um, at at mercy of others, I, I would say that 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 is the fruit. If your fruit is fear and violence and hate and apathy and those types of like really negative, ungrateful type of fruit i i mean sure sure is digging in her yard looking for those oats and and it's very hard for her to find them in amongst the other grasses but i would say this is really clear there's like nettle nettle weeds growing in the oat fields and we see oats <laughs> being produced in the oat field but then we have this like nasty spiky violent nettle field that we oh, need to be very no careful. the nettles so, are a different part of the yard oh, okay yeah <laughs> so so when i think about like in modern society it's like okay well the fruit that's being produced um it's pretty clear to me um and this is like a i don't know like a charge to us or, a, or an, an affirmation or a uh, or an encouragement to really take a hard look at our churches and what's being preached from the pulpit uh, and what is actually like believed at the core. Is it nationalism? Um, I had a very conservative Montana pastor tell me once, um, sitting at a table that he thought Christian nationalism was probably the downfall of the United States Christian movement as we know it. And I'm like, that, that came from a very Montana boy <laughs> attitude. I mean, it's very pastor. And so at, I was, it surprised me. If you look at, I mean, yeah, I hate to throw this example out, but if you look at nationalism in world war two and Christian nationalism, 
yeah. in, in Europe were following the same trajectory. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to follow. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, it's, talking it's... about fruit, um, I think you have it at the individual level um, in your interpersonal relationships, and you also have it at the systemic level, and both matter. Um, and I think there's a tendency to emphasize one over the other, you know, well, I have the right politics or, but I'm a nice person. Um, but all of it matters and we need to be attentive to all of it. Yes. definitely. So the idea of that constructionism, deconstructionism or deconstructionism, constructionism, Shrey, give us the Richard Rohr three boxes. Yeah. Um, help me with that again. I can't remember the three boxes. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like stages of belief. Um, but your first box is um, orientation. And that's the the religion and the beliefs that you were born into. Um, and that initially help you make sense of the world, um, kind of become your first frameworks for how you see things. Um, and then the next box is that of disorientation. Um, and this is where those old frameworks and old beliefs just stop working. Um, they fail to account for the complexity of life and we aren't able mm-hmm. to hold to them and find the same meaning that we were once able to. Um, and then the third box is reorientation. Um, and so it's it's a rebuilding. Um, there are things from our first orientation box that we take with us, um, but there are also things that we leave behind. There are new things that we bring into our third box, um, but it's the process of building a new framework that actually works for the world that we live in. Give, it, give me the first box again. I... Orientation orientation okay so do you believe that fear when when we begin to deconstruct mm-hmm. and construct that what the thing that keeps us from the reorientation so we get into this disorientation and it's really difficult to get to reorientation because it creates so much fear like i'm disconnecting from my traditions or I'm disorientating myself. Is that yeah. fear that's caused there? What is that the emotion? I think that's one of them. Um, Anger, anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, grief at, at the loss. Cause you know, it was nice to have things work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we include different conversations, like, for example, um, the possibility that hell doesn't exist as we know it. Mm-hmm. Well, in our tenets of Christianity, what made you evangelical in the tradition, not the not the tenets of evangelicalism, but I'll call these the other tenets of evangelicalism. The, where, the cultural things. Um, the cultural tenets, right? Yeah, you literally you had you had we believe in a literal heaven and a literal hell. I mean, that's in every belief system of almost a belief statement of almost Mm -hmm. every evangelical church. So so, yeah, so that that right there 
well, how about if it wasn't a literal hell, like a place? And when we say literal hell, we believe in that, you know, that's that, that little, right. you know, pressure cooker place. <laughs> literal furnace. Jake and I went years ago, years ago, we went to a conference um, and it was a, a debate conference on hell. And the guy that was not for hell gets there was a guy that was for hell and there was a guy that was not for hell. And the guy that wasn't for hell definitely won the debate because the guy that was for hell believed in a literal fiery furnace. Like that's how that's how ludicrous our theology gets when it comes to these, yeah. like I'll say non-salvific type things where we're talking about this literal place, like a cooker, like let's open up the door, you know, like a, like a cremation machine, cremation cooker. So let's put somebody in the cooker. Like I couldn't believe he actually was saying what he was saying. It was so ludicrous that I was just like, okay, you just lost this. The guy who gets up and says, um, the the non-hell guy gets up and says, Do you do you want him to win? <laughs> like, like he was just like like right out of the gate. Like, do you want this guy to win? So in this deconstruction of because we're about ready to talk about hell, it's like in this deconstruction, does hell exist as we know it, or does hell do we want hell to exist as we know it? I think that's the better question. Like, do we want hell to exist as Dante Inferno kind of poetically and the paintings from Dante's Inferno, like, like illustratively depicted for us? Or do we want like something different? Um, that causes a lot of fear. And, and Jake and I got up and preached years and years ago now um, at Resonate and we preached on demons satan demons and zombies right was that what it was that sermon yes. series satan yep. demon and zombies yeah oh when we got to hell and we were just talking about oh, options there it is. of hell just options of hell people freaked out i mean i think we lost like you know a handful of people out of the church just talking about the options just talking about the options like not yeah. even saying hey i believe this or that right. it was just options at that point so it's crazy hey there's our order disorder reorder so orientation disorientation and reorientation what i really like about what we have here is that quotation um because it's the pattern of death and resurrection um mm. and i mean that's the gospel message right there um and our, our faith does have to go through that process of death and resurrection sometimes lots of times in uh yeah i think roar has the idea of death and resurrection in t ride has the idea of of exile and how mm. we are in a continual a continual exile re-entry exile re-entry and so we're in order we get disordered and then we go to reorder again so the the exilic pattern he calls it that's it. That's all I got there. I think, and if I just use this illustration of my grandparents, my grandparents taught me a lot of good things. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of great values and concepts and ethics and discipline and 
how to live life and how to work and you know all those things they they taught me some great things they also stockpiled their attics full of dove soap kleenex uh toothpicks um non-perishable items toilet paper you know our, our entire attic was full of products like we were you know a fallout shelter for the neighborhood because of the depression era influence on their life they carried mm -hmm. forward lots of fear and lots of the you know the the end that they weren't like end times are coming people but it was like what happens if you know we go through another great depression so we're going to stockpile all these things so it's like there's great things that i think that our traditions can teach us and point us towards but then there's a lot of weird stuff that makes it through the and into the attic where we're just like that doesn't make any sense anymore why would i want to hold on to that to that theology it doesn't produce like sharia's oat seeds it doesn't produce the fruit it's just like baggage that we're carrying. Let's go into that hell passage. I think that's an important one to just transition to. Because this kind of, Sorry. this is all we're going to make it to tonight. Because um, we spent uh, the good time we needed to. Of course, this is everyone's favorite passage. <laughs> of course. Sherry, <laughs> uh, you want to read that again for us? And then yeah. uh, let's pull it apart. <clears throat> As for whoever causes these little ones who believe in me to trip and fall into sin, it would be better for them to have a huge stone hung around their necks and to be thrown into the lake. If your hand causes you to fall into sin, chop it off. It's better for you to enter into life crippled than to go away with two hands into the fire of hell, which can't be put out. If your foot causes you to fall into sin, chop it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to be thrown into hell with two feet. If your eye causes you to fall into sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter God's kingdom with one eye than to be thrown into hell with two. That's a place where worms don't die and the fire never goes out. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? Maintain salt among yourselves and keep peace with each other. All right. Any thoughts on this? I mean, we can't walk the streets of gold at this point. My initial <laughs> Her feet are cut off. Is that this passage? Oh. oh, funny. This passage mirrors another passage, and I forget. Um, I forget which passage it is where Paul called and talks about cutting off your hand if it causes you to sin, right? And so it's right. just a retelling of that since Paul wrote that well before this mm -hmm. um origin took these passages very seriously and castrated himself yes mm -hmm. um, and then so he was a very literal reader of scripture and then he turned into a very figurative reader of scripture after his castration <laughs> episode and so the idea again here and then one emotion that he had right after that happened was Regret. regret? <laughs> Instant <laughs> regret. So, the, so the, I mean, the idea is that um, what is the greater message this story is teaching 
it's not about actually castrating yourself or flogging yourself it's about having discipline it's about having safeguards and boundaries set up around you it's not about Hmm. the literal cutting off of flesh that's my first thought we can we can keep going though okay sheree any thoughts yeah if we're talking about hell where the fire never goes out um verse 49 says everyone will be salted with fire um Mm. and so i'm thinking of sprinkle um, sprinkle yeah the idea of hell as the refiner's fire um, or a purifying Mm -hmm. fire as opposed to something that just destroys Mm -hmm. yeah right so oftentimes we read hell about this where there is a fire that never goes out the worm doesn't sleep and there there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and so Mm -hmm. and it's oftentimes in conjunction with jesus foretelling his death yeah Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and if you historically if you look at jerusalem and the garbage dump which was gehenna uh, there were fires there that would never go out and that's right. also where they threw crucified bodies after after they died. Mm-hmm. It's out into the garbage dump. And so that's why there was weeping and gnashing of teeth there because there was lots of death. And Yeah, Ben Hanam. Ben Hanam. Is that Um yeah. Is there anything yeah. um like, Ben Hanam uh, is? Ben Hanam is the Hebrew for the Hebrew place of yeah. Gehenna. Go ahead, Shreya. Same place. Um, Cremation worth, uh, creation versus burial um, in Jewish thought. Is that an important thing to think about here? That crucified bodies were cremated instead of buried? Definitely could be. I mean, there's definitely a Jewish tradition because the bones were put in boxes. So so people were put in tombs, um, preserved for a while, and then... um, yeah, yeah, preparations for burial. Yeah, right, and then and then the flesh would then rot off the bones. So later in Jewish tradition, uh, if you go to the catacombs um, in different places, you'll see boxes, bone boxes, um, mm-hmm. but you'll see bones, just like the bones of people just underneath the stored in caves and stored in, yeah. um, you know, hallways and such. Uh, it's quite different than what we do with bodies but those bones the the flesh is decomposed and put into a box so every once in a while they'll find a bone box of a famous like ancient Mm -hmm. person of antiquity um and and that was uh done because in resurrection they thought that those bones would be put back together in resurrection that was a traditional thought um do so, you want to put that uh, passage yeah, cremation up again? could freak oh. some people out then oh oh yes definitely um so i'm gonna read the first and the last passage uh as, as first and last verses um as for whoever causes these little ones who believe in me to trip and to fall into sin it would be better for them to have a huge stone hung around their necks and be thrown into the lake 
So number one, we know that the evil is in the deep. So there's that water right. in the deep of the lake. So we know that that's their version of that. That is evil. So causing a little one to stumble is evil. Then in 49, it says everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? maintaining salt amongst yourselves and keeping peace with each other. So I honestly, with this verse and correct me if I'm, you know, going too off base, the thesis of this verse is actually the verses before Shereya's verses mm -hmm. um, about the fruit. Then it talks about if we don't produce fruit, basically, if we're not, like keeping peace with each other, as we see in verse 49, that's the antifruit. <clears throat> so we have the antifruit causing people to stumble. Um, so this is the beauty and the horror of the idea of rhetoric and how rhetoric is um, right in the center of these theses. So you have the thesis of the beginning where you have don't, don't make these people stumble with your anti-fruit. And then you have the ends of losing your saltiness, losing your effectiveness um, will result in anti-fruit. Um, so then you have in this, in this middle, you have this dismemberment and death. You have these horrible places and it's graphic and disturbing. So, so right in the center, you have this rhetoric, this horror rhetoric that's used to depict, Hey, by the way, that's a really horrible thing to do. Mm. And they, it uses this. So to be honest, you can't really build any kind of theology of hell out of rhetoric. Yeah. Yes. And there, it was a direct teaching in the early church of what there was something that was happening that Mark was addressing. And so, oh, yes, yes. There's something, yes, that the stumbling is an actual event that's going on, right? Yeah. And so, like, what, 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 we don't know probably what was happening. Was it like right. Judaizers or like people trying to teach different things because you got just got mm -hmm. a passage yeah. of, of Jesus. Basically, if you teach in my name and good things are happening, right. you, you really can't curse me at the same time. And so if you lead that into the stumbling passages, I don't, I think it'd be, it would, it would not be good to separate those thoughts as well. That, right. That something is happening that Mark is trying right. to address through a right. moral, ethical teaching of Jesus. Go to, uh, can anyone look up 2 Kings 23.10? I got it. Go ahead. Right there. Can you see it? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Do you want this read aloud and how much? 
just the just the first verse there, twenty three ten. Just the first verse. Josiah defiled yeah. the Topheth in the Ben Hinnom Valley, so no one could burn their child alive in honor of the god Molech. So that Ben Hinnom, the Hebrew idea of that place, is the place of a horrible act of sacrifice and of the god of Molech. So that valley becomes a trash dump over time. Yeah. And in Greek, we call that Gehenna. So if you can imagine the, the, uh, the horrific history that is at the trash heap and the people who would go there and the people who are cast out there, um, that would be a literal hell on earth. Um, to even have a place like mm -hmm. that in your history, um, it would be like, it would be like, um, uh, well, like the killing fields. Yeah, it would be lot. something like that that would just be a horrific right. history let's, that you had to it, reconcile. Let's bring it closer to us. Let's do um, like the mass graves of indigenous that are, I think there's mm -hmm. one right. in so, Salem they're finding right now. Right. And so we have these places of like, you know, literally bodies and bodies and bodies of people found. So how do you reconcile that? How do you, how do you make reparations? How do you, well, you know, how they did it and what they thought was, okay, let's just make this a trash heap. Let's just put our trash out there because that's what that represents is our trash. And so let's create this this place of 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 hell concept on on earth so that's the uh that's the idea of hell um but the rhetoric was meant to evoke images of this is a very dangerous dangerous place to go let's let's go back into the metaphor of sacrifice right a child sacrifice right. i mean mm -hmm. that's low hanging fruit um and also like it's if we look at exile the pattern of exile here that and uh the jewish story is that they were exiled because of this practice with moloch and the first king the first king to actually do the moloch sacrifice was solomon mm -hmm. set up set up these moloch was a how you worship them was a giant bronze statue that they would build a fire underneath and the statue had its hands raised out and they would cradle the child of a baby and you would put mm -hmm. and it basically would would burn the baby to death on this giant stove furnace it's, it's horrific that malik history is like are you kidding me yeah and you know like the one of the like solomon like the, the great King Solomon was the first one to, to do this practice was like you choose which history you read about Solomon. And that is, that is one of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the deconstruction construction. This idea of hell as we see is reserved for people basically that are not producing fruit mm. that their mm -hmm. belief systems are so toxic right so now this depiction of danger is there 
right? So this idea of hell, not to say our literal version of hell is reserved for people who are not producing fruit. The danger of this idea of hell, whatever that is, is for those that's reserved for those that are not producing fruit. So if we traditional view, hell is a literal place. That's a traditional view in evangelicalism. Hell is a literal place. Now I'm going to go into disorientation. I also have this other verse that says nothing will separate us from the love of God. I also have every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I have those verses and then I have my traditional theology of hell is a literal place. So that puts me in a disorientation or mm -hmm. maybe it doesn't. Maybe you're just like, nope, hell is a real place. I don't care about those other verses, but I care about those other verses. So, so that puts me in a disorientation. It creates fear. Will people accept me if I don't believe in a literal place? Um, did I teach wrong for my entire life? Because I believe that hell was a literal place. Uh, was I wrong all those years? Yeah. Um, what will my family think of me if I don't believe it? And, and am I going to hell myself if I don't mm -hmm. believe that hell is a literal place? I think that's probably one of the, one of the scarier. bigger, yeah. scarier factors. So now I'm in this disorientation phase and I have to ask myself these questions. What is my belief? based upon is that true or false is that founded or unfounded and you do have to ask yourself the question what is the result of if i change my belief what is the result yeah i would like to pose something i believe in a literal hell Oh, you're just blowing me up. What's blowing up? You up. <laughs> and I think the the argument of do you believe in a literal hell? I I believe in a literal hell. But hell is here, and hell is oh. what you make it here. You got me. <laughs> Heaven is is also here. And it's what you make mm. of it as well. And so you create your own heavens and you create your own hells. We have the power to do that. I think this is not a conversation of afterlife. And that's yeah. That's what you're getting into, Kevin, is that right. it's, not, it's not this eschatological what happens in the next life. It is is about what fruit you're producing here. Is it right? Is it a fire? But a that's worm? your reorientation. Mm -hmm. See, sure. when you said that, that's your reorientation. <laughs> so, so how do you get somebody like me, 50 years old, pastor for a long time, right? Taught this fire gates of hell, you know, put, put your body up on the hot plate of Moloch, you know, type of place and you know, burn alive for eternity. We used those images for fear and um, control. Regretfully used those images for 
the fear. If you have the anti, you're going to go to the thesis. If you have the antithesis, you're going to move. And that antithesis is really bad. Then you're going to move to the thesis. You're going to say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life because hell is really bad. Right? So sometimes, they, well, many times, our brains are wired so binary that if there's a heaven, there has to be a hell. Mm -hmm. And so our brains are so like in that choice. What do I choose? What do I choose? What do I choose? Um, we choose Christ many times because we're afraid of our eternal destination. I mean, you, you've seen those signs, you know, do you know where you're going mm -hmm. if you die? Um, you know, that's no. all based on, and neither do you. <laughs> well, yeah, and so especially, um, as a kid, you know, hearing, hearing messages oh. about hell when you're five years old, right? Like, of course you're going to choose yes. Jesus, but is that a choice? Right. Right. And these ideas that we've created these images off of are so buried in a societal context, rhetoric. I mean, look at Isaiah 66 and eternal fire. I mean, just the, just the poetic nature of, and the prophetic poetic nature of Isaiah 66 and how that has just taken into tangible, real, literal places. Um, it's just really sad. So where was I going with that? I forgot my train of thought um, because I just had that image of, oh, these images that, that we create are so buried in, in ancient societal context and buried in poetic narrative and rhetoric. Mm -hmm. So, so really a theology of hell, I would say doesn't really exist. <clears throat> it, I would be, I would be hard pressed if I had to say, show me an actual hell in scripture. I think there's only one passage that you can really get away with and it's Lazarus and the rich man. Right, right. And that's it. Mm -hmm. That is the only place but that's, in scripture that describes a hell. But but that's an image. It's a parable. It's a parable. Yeah, it's a parable. So, like, I could break that down, too. Like, yeah, I get what you're saying. Uh, it just, I struggle with that, why people have taken, it's kind of like what we do with the book of Revelation. You know, we we take the book of Revelation and we, some things are literal and some things are apocalyptic. The whole book is apocalyptic. Correct. And you can't yeah. take apocalyptic literature and turn it into literal, just like you can't take a, a <laughs> Hebrew poetic narrative and turn it into a literal science of creation. You can't do that. Um, you, I guess you can if you're irresponsible, but that's a really low view of the Bible. It is very low. I mean, that's like not being honest with the Bible. That's like making up stuff out of the Bible. That's really unfortunate that we've done and that, but we've done that for control. And... and the next passage that we got through a whole eight verses today. 
Um, yeah, perfect. The next passage that we are going to go into next week is a proof text against certain types of marriages and how that's not even what it's talking about. So right. You can pull out. Well, let's get into that. Yeah, let's get into that next week because we're running out of time. Yep. And uh, <laughs> and we don't want to go too long. So uh, is hell real? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. That, that's the disorientation. Yeah, what do we do I, with that in the reorientation? I definitely would, we can spend more time with that next week. I definitely would ask the question when you're searching, why do you want hell to be real if you believe in a hell? Yeah. Because at this point, it's a want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why do you want to believe in hell so bad when heaven is such a reality? Good questions. Hey, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being a part. Really appreciate both your thoughts. With that, we're going to sign off next week. We're going to go over the ideas of marriage, remarriage, divorce, things like that. So we're going to talk about that in depth next week. So with that, good night, everybody. Thanks for joining us.